1: I was trying to think this morning on this election day, November 3rd, 2020, or as many people are now calling it, given the enormous turnout in early voting, the final day in which people can cast their votes here in Georgia and across the country. I was trying to think of when Political Rewind began covering uh, the uh, candidates and the races that are uh, on the ballot today. And I think you've got to go back almost a year and a half, back to like April of 2019 or May of 2019 when people were really uh, uh declaring their candidacies starting their operations and here we are it is election day in Georgia it's a chilly morning for many people who were out early this morning across the state um weather's supposed to warm up so that it's in the 60s uh, this afternoon when more people will perhaps vote a lot of people of course turning to their polling places after they finish work. Um, We're so far this morning um, seeing some problems here and there. I'm getting this uh, both from uh, the GPB News website uh, and uh, the AJC as well. Um, Apparently some voters in Gwinnett County were turned away because they were incorrectly told uh, when they came in and said they voted absent. They had tried to vote absentee, never did complete it. And they wanted to now vote in person. They were told by poll workers they had to have those ballots in order to vote. That, by the way, is not correct. If you uh, ask for an absentee ballot but never turned it in and want to go vote in person today, you do not have to have that ballot with you. It will expedite the process. It'll make it faster. But the poll workers are instructed to uh, contact the county in which they're located to make sure that the absentee ballot is canceled. So that's an important thing uh, for people to know. Emergency ballots have been deployed in Buckhead, Morris Brandon Elementary Schools. Uh, Equipment isn't working, so they're using emergency paper ballots instead, voting machines down in Spalding County. Those are just some of the reports. We're uh, getting Park Tavern near Piedmont Park in Midtown, which was a big problem in June. Everything's moving Uh, Quite well there. If you've uh, been hearing, if you've got problems where you're voting anywhere in the state, let us know. You're welcome to just uh, send me a note if you want to uh, bnigut, B-N-I-G-U-T, at gpb.org. And we'll be more than happy to pass it on to our news team uh, as we uh, cover Uh, The day. A quick reminder before I introduce the panel we're going to do two live political rewinds today. We'll be back with you live at two o'clock because voting will be continuing and we want to stay on top of all the news around that. In the meantime, we've got a great panel uh, this morning all set to talk about this historic election. Uh, We start with Tamar Hallerman, our regular partner on the Tuesday show. She's a senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Tamar, how are you? Are you ready for today?
2: I'm ready for today. Who would have thought back in, in April 2019 when we are starting to talk about that stuff, we'd be contending with a pandemic, and that would sort of be old news on Election Day.
1: Were, were you at any of the big rallies uh, over the weekend? I can't remember which byline, where I saw your byline attached over the last few days.
2: No, not over the weekend, but I, I did a story that ran in this morning's paper on the legal challenges we're expecting to see.
1: Yes. And we want to talk about that during uh, the show today. But in any case, thank you so much for being with us. Um, The mayor of Sandy Springs, Rusty Paul, is back with us today. Uh, Rusty Paul is a past chair of the Georgia Republican Party. He uh, also worked for Jack Kemp when Jack Kemp was uh, the head of housing and urban development. And Rusty Paul knows about presidential campaigning. Uh, because of his participation when Kemp was a candidate for president back in 1988. So, Rusty, you know what election days like this are like for people running for president.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's all hands on deck. Uh, you know, most of the time they start on the East Coast and travel West to make sure they squeeze out every last undecided or uh, unvoted person that they possibly can. And that's what the campaigns will be doing today.
1: Um, Mary Margaret Oliver, Representative Oliver, of course, a Democrat from Decatur, is back with us uh, today. Mary Margaret Decatur, the center of, I think, in many ways, the Democratic universe uh, in Georgia. How are things uh, looking? Have you driven by any polling places uh, this morning by any chance?
0: I've not been out yet this morning, but it's clear that Democratic votes coming from DeKalb County are super, super important in this 2020 election. I'm ready. I have my RBG socks on, and it's going to be an exciting day. Thank you for having (laughs) me today.
1: Sure. By the way, I want to correct something. Yesterday, I know that Kamala Harris was in Decatur her last visit to Georgia. I said that when she was here on Sunday, she was in Decatur. I was confused about the previous visit. She was, in fact, in Gwinnett, another county that we're going to be watching uh, closely uh, tonight. So I wanted to make that direction right away. Um, we're also joined again by Rene Alegria. He is the president and CEO, CEO of Mundo Hispanico, which is one of the country's largest news and information sites for the Hispanic and Latino community across the country. It's terrific to have you back Rene. Thank you, Bill. I really
4: it's an honor to be to be back and to talk about, you know, how, how the Latino vote is is, is transforming Politics not only locally but throughout the country—it's—it's—it's it's, it's an amazing sea shift that we're, we're witnessing, and we report on it at Mundo Hispánico every day. But you know, to have it play out uh, nationally and locally, of course, is uh, is quite exciting for us.
1: Hmm. Um, and we will talk about the uh, Hispanic vote uh, during this show today. But tomorrow, let me start with the fact that uh, we had President Obama back yesterday. Uh, Doing an event. And uh, I said on the show yesterday that I think a lot of Georgians are feeling a little bit like they can't figure out how they got a date for this prom because we just have never, not for decades, have we really been invited uh, to be considered a swing state, a battleground state in the last days of a campaign. Uh, But Obama's visit, not to mention Kamala Harris the day before Joe Biden last week. Uh, it's it's extraordinary that the country now is looking at georgia as a as a true battleground state who would have thunk it tomorrow?
2: Exactly. We were talking right before the show about the New York Times bringing its election needle back and how Georgia is one of three states that's going to be featured, Florida, North Carolina, and us. And like you said, it's amazing. For years and years, Democrats have talked about how Georgia, you know, they see it as a gettable state, how it's a purple state, but but they never seriously poured resources into your money, surrogates, campaign appearances. And and this year we got that that late push that that we've never seen before. We'll see if, if you know, that rally by Barack Obama, by Kamala Harris, by Joe Biden, whether that'll actually make a difference here. Um, it's also notable that Trump was here on, on Sunday evening uh, when time is so precious if you're uh, competing in those final days, and he chose to come to an area like Rome. So uh, they're, all, they're both trying to—both parties are trying to turn out their, their base, their faithful. Uh, they're going to need that here, and we'll see, I guess, today if that makes a difference.
1: Yeah, Rusty, I think you'd have to say— that it is not a good sign for the Trump campaign that they felt they had to bring him back to Georgia one more time. This is a state that under most circumstances, they should have been able to just tuck under their belts and moved on, right?
3: Well, it's also a reflection of the, the changing demographics of the state. Uh, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, the suburbs have always been going back to when I first got involved in, in politics, when, uh, when Mary Margaret and I were children, uh, and, uh, you know, the suburbs have always been the Republican area. But the, the challenge that they've got, that the Republicans have right now, is the changing age group in, in suburbia. The, we baby boomers are retiring, we're downsizing, and just on my street, we've had two houses sell in the last uh, month. Well, both above uh, asking price, which is a whole nother problem we've got in metro Atlanta right now, but they, but replacing them was a family uh, that whose origins are in India, another family from Brazil. And so you've got the, the 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 houses look the same, but the people who are living in them is changing, and that's changing the politics of suburbia in Georgia.
1: Mary Margaret.
0: I agree demographics of Georgia are changing. This morning, Stacey Abrams was on CNN talking exactly about that. I think this election today, the energy around this election, is is based on the negativity generated by President Trump and by the positiveness in Georgia of the 2018 election. Uh, baby boomers retiring raises an interesting um, Point In my view, I agree that in my neighborhood of Druid Hills and Decatur, uh, older residents are being replaced by the young families to a successful, multiple degree, both working young families who are at CDC, Emory, or uh, Deloitte or uh, major corporations. My mother's generation, uh, she specifically spent 40 years with her garden club and with her church chapter. Uh, My generation of empty nesters or uh, baby boomers or new retirees, since the defeat of Hillary Clinton, have turned their attention, volunteer engagement to politics. I am absolutely fascinated by the energy that's coming out of the people surrounding me who are spending enormous amount of time. These are retired professors, they're retired school superintendents, retired Deloitte partners who have turned all that skill to politics. Um, my picture was in the Washington Post this week as an article on uh, seniors in Georgia. That was a little jarring, but uh, I was at the rally uh, <laughs> for... Uh, by President Biden, and they were doing a feature about this new group of older uh, citizens, mainly women, who have turned to politics. We have an enormous number of subgroups across Georgia, whether they're Hispanic groups, whether they're young people, whether they're newly engaged uh, retirees, that is all making this a fascinating day for Georgia and the nation.
1: Um, I want to turn to Renee, but before I do, Nancy Davis uh, just sent me an email. She says they have the wrong scanners at the polling places on Tybee Island. The workers are telling voters their votes, quote, may count, unquote, if they are scanned later. We're going to have to keep on top of that story because obviously the votes should count despite whatever problems they may be having with their scanners. Renee, I want to continue on this theme with you for just a minute. You know, when President Trump, throughout the campaign, has uh, talked about, oh, suburban women please like me, he claims he's joking when he says it that way. But nevertheless, he continues in terms of his efforts to attract suburban women to have an image in his head of uh, the white women who worked, had you know, were housewives in kitchens in the 50s and 60s in suburban America. And as, as we're talking about here today, as Rusty Paul talks about what's happened to Sandy Springs, the suburbs aren't an enclave anymore of just white people uh, who would be more attracted, perhaps, to the uh, Trump message, right?
4: Absolutely. Look, um, and, and to that point, the, the New York Times wrote this great piece about how uh, Latina voters uh, are for Biden by 34 points. That that's a that's a that's a big gap for for Trump to overcome when uh, trying to to win out the, the Latino to the Latino vote. Now, I mean, we we have to take a look at this nationally. You know, 32 million Hispanics are eligible to vote this year. Uh, this is the 13 percent of all U.S. eligible voters and exceeding Black eligible voters in a presidential presidential election for the first time ever. Uh, this is a, a major switch now will all of those 32 million uh, Hispanic voters vote? most likely not but still going forward you're going you're really going to take a look at uh, the politics of, of this country switching and focusing on the Latino vote in these battleground states. He, here in Georgia um, I mean the Latino population doubled from 2010 to 2018 to 300,000. Um, Trump won Georgia by just over 200,000 in 2016. Now you you do the math. If you don't have a strategy as a politician in America to court the Latino vote, you're going to lose.
1: Um- we're going to watch that unfold particularly, Rusty, in, well, Florida and Arizona, Florida, which you'll report fairly early. Uh, but Renee, quickly, before I turn to Rusty on that, when you talk about the Hispanic and Latino community, the Cuban community, which is so important to voting in South Florida particularly, how do they, how does that, how does the Cuban com- community fit into what you're describing when you talk about Latino and Hispanics. They've always seemed to see themselves as kind of a separate group of Hispanic origin people, yes?
4: Sure, sure. That That's historically been the case. Um, but things are changing. I mean, number one, the, the Latino vote is, is not uh, a monolithic voting bloc. There are uh, various uh, factions within the Hispanic uh, voting block just like there are in in you know folks over 65 or under 30 so that's number 1 the 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 cuban uh, republican voting block in south florida certainly to this day has an incredible amount of sway but we are seeing which which is incredibly interesting is the 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 age difference that the, the changes of uh sons and daughters of this Cuban voting bloc, of uh, shifting blue. And that is causing a stir, not only within the Hispanic community in politics, but overwhelmingly, as we know, it, the, the 29 electoral votes in Florida, whoever nabs them, you know, that's got a leg up in the, the night when, when, when the count happens, right? Uh, but we're also seeing a, a difference in the shift of... Latino, uh, uh, Cuban politics shifting more toward Orlando and the Puerto Rican diaspora that's happening in Florida from the island. We're also seeing the influence of Venezuelans uh, in Florida really take hold and, and shift the dynamics. So Florida is this unknown now.
1: So that's what's fascinating, Rusty. Florida, one of the states that we expect is going to report its vote pretty early And uh, there's no you can't as as Rene just pointed out. It's a the the Hispanic community, which is a large one. You can't make assumptions about where they're heading in this election. And Arizona has the same situation, Rusty.
3: Well, my Republican friends, uh, you know you know my pedigree. uh, Jack Kemp, who preached inclusion for the Republican Party, the the absolute necessity of broadening our base, reaching out to African American, Hispanic, and other minority votes, and and so that's that's been my pedigree for, for decades. The challenge is is we haven't done a very good job, and and we haven't done a very good job with our own children. My own daughters have come to me and looked at me. My middle daughter with tears in her eyes and said, "Dad, I want to vote Republican, but you're giving me nothing." And we haven't reached out no. to the. We haven't built a message that broadens. Uh, The the Republican message should be inclusive and across the board. It's a good message for all Americans. We just haven't done a very good job of going out into these communities. It's it's the old adage, I don't care how much you care until you show me that you care. Uh, And so we haven't really done a good job of that, and it's coming home to roost. You cannot build the future of the Republican Party on white male voters. It's a a decreasing asset, and uh, soon... It's, it's going to go away. So we have to figure out. We've got to, whatever happens today, the Republican Party's got to figure out how we go out and be serious about including and, and reaching out.
2: Yeah, I want to piggyback off of what what Rusty has said. Just wrote a story late last week about how Republicans, you know, are relying so hard on turning out, especially white men, but conservative people living in rural and exurban parts of the state. But how when you talk to Republicans, they all acknowledge that in terms of a long-term strategy, especially in a rapidly diversifying place like Georgia, that's not going to work long-term. But I think for now... The idea is just double down and kind of go for those known supporters that that was enough for Donald Trump in 2016. That was enough for Brian Kemp in 2018. And the hope is they can at least eke it out again in, in 2020.
3: But, you know, that's been Mary a, Margaret. a mantra for decades. We talk a good game when it comes to reaching out and we understand intellectually the need to reach out. What we haven't done is put together a strategy. And it's not something you can do just before an election. You have to think years in advance before it starts paying off. And so it's going to take a while to change minds and and, 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 and loyalties, uh, and you've got to have a strategic plan to be able to do it.
0: The strategic plan operated by President Trump is all in the wrong direction, of course. I mean, it goes without saying that his – Serious uh, insult to a wide variety of immigrant groups and immigrant and and the Stephen Miller esque uh, approach to immigration um, impacts people on a very personal level. Mm -hmm. Whether you have family in another part of the world, whether you are uh, a major corporation trying to get, like Emory, trying to get research scientists out of some research entity into our Emory Research Campus, Uh, there's a tremendous variety of ways that the president on a daily basis insults immigrants and ethnic groups. And the strategy of using a Vernon uh, Vernon Jones or a uh, uh, Conde, Conde, those kind of strategies seem so false to the real Georgians who care about issues of inclusion. They may care about issues of inclusion from a faith-based perspective. They may care about issues of inclusion from a corporate perspective in relation to profits, but you cannot insult people on a daily basis and expect to be credible in an effort to reach out and include people.
1: So Tamar, we we do know that uh, from everything we're seeing in all of the polling, Uh, including the most recent uh, landmark communications poll, our friend Mark Roundtree for WSB TV on Sunday, uh, confirms what we've already been hearing. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are locked in a essentially tie. Nobody's close to 50 percent in that race. And the same is true with Ossoff and Purdue, which is a little more surprising. Uh, for quite some time, we know David Perdue uh, polled much more uh, uh, in terms of approval ratings, much higher than any other elected official in Georgia, and now is fighting for his life against John Nassau. But let me uh, uh, ask you about, and then I'd love to hear the panel weigh in on this. Um, your colleague, Tamar Greg Bluestein, this morning filed a piece in which he said kind of the magic formula for Democrats if they hope to win uh, the White House uh, here. Uh, in other key races is 30 uh, 30, getting 30% of, getting a turnout of 30% of African American voters, most of whom are expected to vote Democratic, and then winning 30% of the white vote. Well, um, we're, the early votes show African Americans at about 28%. So I think Democrats hope that that number they got to kick that number up today, and I think that's one of the reasons Barack Obama was here last night, urging African Americans to get out to the polls. And although the the white vote for Biden appears to be much more uh, solid, much higher in terms of percentages than it, than it's been in recent elections, it still may not be quite enough to put Biden over the top. So. Those are just key demographics that I assume you're going to be watching for tonight since you're working on the AJC blog all evening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And especially when it comes to, to black votes, as you mentioned, Democrats want to see black votes as 30 percent of the electorate coming out, um, you know, and, and voting. And generally, a, a lot of the predictions I've seen is, is that a lot of black voters, if they, they would be turning out, they'd be turning out early or, or voting absentee. So so that, I think, is a worry point for a lot of Democrats if, if they're not going to be coming out to, to vote today. And then as for black votes, um, or sorry, uh, continuing to drive people out, uh, John Ossoff has struggled a little bit compared to what Joe Biden has been doing in terms of black voters. So I think there's a hope that that uh, Raphael Warnock will be able to kind of help bring the, you know, tied up for all the Democrats. Uh, on the ticket, uh, and Joe Biden as well. So we'll we'll certainly be looking out for that. As for Purdue, as you were mentioning, he is the most popular Republican politician in the state. He wasn't challenged in the in the primary, and so I think a lot of folks are surprised by by what they've seen. Um, he's been polling. If you you go down to look at all the different demographic groups, age groups, he he really is pulling about the same as Donald Trump. And I I think the hope was that he would have an appeal beyond Trump, because especially in the suburbs where he's more of a known entity, he's been around in Georgia for the last six years, he doesn't use as sharp a rhetoric as as Donald Trump does. Uh, There's been a hope that he could appeal beyond that. So I'm going to be watching those numbers very closely, especially in exit polls that come out later tonight.
1: Uh, Let's do this. We're really at a point where we've got to get a break in a lot more that I want to cover on this election morning with our panel. So let's take our first break and uh, and come back with more on Political Rewind.
4: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else.
1: Amelia Brock just sent me an item from a reporter at WTOC in Savannah who says, in terms of what we uh, just talked about with Tybee Island, the email I got from a listener, several voters at the Tybee YMCA uh, say there's an issue with the scanners, but they're putting their ballots in a locked box so they will be scanned later. What other voters are saying they want to come back and make sure that their vote counts. So I just wanted to keep you up to speed on that. Renee Alegria of Mundo Hispanico, uh, Rusty Paul, the mayor of Sandy Springs, Mary Margaret Oliver, a state representative from uh, Decatur, and Tamara, we're all here together with uh, uh, this is it. I mean, everybody is out actually voting uh, today. Mary Margaret, why don't we uh, pick up on a couple of, let's look at the Senate races just for a couple minutes. Um, it, 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 I think it is fair to say, and you may know this better than I, because you may have been talking to the campaign. Um, the fact that the Ossoff-Purdue race is a dead heat, uh, and the fact that Shane Hazel, the Libertarian, is polling two, three percent, suggests there's going to be a runoff. But the Ossoff people, based on what it, I feel like they're saying, sort of have this notion that they might have the momentum. Push themselves over 50%. That seems probably unlikely, and it would certainly be the biggest surprise of the night, with the exception of a definitive win for uh, Trump in the state. I mean, for Biden in the state.
0: My prediction, uh, scary to make predictions, of course, is that if the sixth and seventh congressional seats are one called early before midnight, which I think is possible because there's strong Democratic candidates in those two congressional seats, then uh, Ossoff and the Biden camp should be very encouraged about winning Georgia. David Perdue has not ever met with Democratic constituents. In the Atlanta area, he tries to look nice, nice guy on his TV ads, but when you get him out in rural area, he's gonna intentionally mispronounce Kamala Harris's name. He's going to, I will never forget, insult Dax Lopez, uh, an, an important uh, Hispanic figure in my world. Uh, he has been too Trumpian uh, to hold an edge uh, ahead of the president, in my view, in the view of my strong Democratic candidate. John Ossoff has been an enormously successful candidate. There's just no way to deny that his skill in being a disciplined, exciting young person can- candidate is paying off. I think it's very possible that both our U.S. Senate seats are in a runoff. Statistically, does the libertarian candidate ever get less than 3% or 2.5%? Uh, a 3%, 2.5% of to the libertarian, which, of course, is a uh, you know, a wasted vote in my view. It could very easily send the Ossoff versus Purdue race to a runoff, and then Georgia becomes the national center uh, between now and January fifth. I think that's a strong possibility if Ossoff does not pull off a surprise win today by himself.
1: So. Thank you, Mary Margaret, for assuring I'm going to get emails from the libertarians out there who do not think you are wasting your vote if you decide you want to vote for a party that feels it needs to have more opportunities in Georgia. Uh, Renee, the Dax Dax Lopez uh, uh, incident that uh, Mary Margaret refers to is it was David Perdue who blocked Dax Lopez from a federal judgeship, and I'm assuming – that uh, given that he's one of the most pr- prominent Latinos in North Georgia, that doesn't play well in the community.
4: Uh, listen, it, it doesn't help Republican efforts to, to to galvanize uh, Latino voters uh, on on their side. Not not at all. But you, you're also seeing what what I think is a uh, very jaded Latino voter base. You know, we, we're courted every election uh, by Democrats by Republicans. And there have been some big promises that have fallen through, and that has left us really, you know, we we're, we're just not sure. And I think that we're 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 in play every election cycle. There was this great uh, uh, piece in the New York Times op-ed that that Jorge Ramos wrote. And if if any of you uh, know, Jorge Ramos is the lauded Hispanic journalist that was physically removed from uh, press briefing uh, during Trump's 2016 campaign. And he wrote that, you know, the Democrats and Obama promised immigration reform during his first 100 days in office. And that, that didn't happen, right? Um, Obama then was, was called by many Latinos as, as the deporter in chief because he stepped up immigration raids by ICE. Now, that that is Trump had stepped up immigration raids by ICE 40-fold during his time, and of course we have the visuals of children be- locked in cages along the Texas border. So that certainly doesn't help. But we do have a jaded Latino base that is that is up for grabs.
3: Well, I you know we're talking about the senior uh, the the Senate, Senate races. <laughs> I'm seniors. I'm thinking about myself again. The, the Senate races, uh, for those Georgians <laughs> who hoped that this election would end it all, i got bad news for you. Right, we're going to have right. probably two Senate races go into a runoff in January, and we're going to be the only elections nationwide, and they're likely to determine the outcome of who controls the U.S. Senate. So this is going to go on through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, through New Year. And we're going to, as Mary Margaret indicated, this is going to be ground zero of the political world in the United States for the next nine weeks. Uh, It's going to continue regardless of what happens in the presidential races or anything else. I think we're looking at two Senate races uh, going into January and a lot of money coming to Georgia to try and influence those races.
2: If you're a Democrat, especially if you're John Ossoff and you remember all too well what happened in 2017, coming within a point or two of winning outright in the first round of voting and then losing by four points uh, in the in the runoff, you want to knock it out now if you can. Um, historically, Democratic voters do not turn out to runoff in the same way that Republican voters have, especially for for uh, in, in Georgia's U.S. Senate runoff. There have been two so far in history with uh, Senator Weich Fowler and and Paul Coverdell, the Republican, who upset the the sitting incumbent. And then you had Saxby Chambliss and Jim Martin. And uh, that's such an interesting parallel for now, because that was in 2008. It was right after Obama... Uh, won the White House, and, uh, you know, the Saxby-Chambliss race was one of only two that were still ongoing after that, and Republicans really rallied. There was a ton of rage about Obama's victory, and Senator Chambliss was able to use that to really cruise to a victory. And so, you know, even if control of the Senate is not up for grabs with our one or two runoffs expected in in January, there's going to be a lot of of rage about whoever wins the White House and, and kind of the other side trying to rally. But if you're a Democrat, history, has shown runoffs will not be very kind
0: to you. Uh, you don't have to remind me of a runoff. I'm a statewide candidate that lost in a runoff uh, when there was a less yeah. than 12% turnout. So runoffs are a big deal in my psyche. But this year is different. This is a different year. There's a different energy. There's a different participation. And if we have uh, Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff in a runoff, Uh, I predict that the the usual history about Democrats don't come in a runoff simply will not be true. We have to realize how important Georgia is today. What happens today is a national issue, Uh, whether it's Ossoff winning, whether it's Biden winning Georgia, whether it's these two congressional districts that I'm very excited about, Lucy McBath and Carolyn Bordeaux. Um, Today, Georgia is ground central and If we have two U.S. Senate races going to a runoff, the traditional wisdom that runoffs don't generate Democrat votes simply will not be true in my view.
3: Mary Margaret, let me ask you a question, and this this is a sincere question. I'm not trying to make a political point here. Why, with Reverend Warnock on the ballot, are African-American voters underperforming in this election? I am shocked by that. I thought that he would bring people, bring African-American voters out in droves, and that just doesn't seem to have been the case. Why do you think that that has occurred?
0: I'm not 100% sure it it has occurred. You're putting it in the past tense because today it's only uh, 940, and we do know that there's going to be a very strong surge of African-American voters today. Um, I do think also that President Obama coming was very, very significant. What we are struggling with, though, is the reality that with President Obama's win and Stacey Abrams' loss, some people say it's a loss, some people say she won and wasn't rewarded, um, that there is a different mood out there today. And some of it is jadedness. Some of it is disgust. But it's also a reality that the demographics are changed so much that the issue of whether or not um white people vote twenty eight percent or thirty percent or black people vote uh at a higher percentage is simply not as true as it has been in past years those whatever weakness that some people may be may be able to prove after today african American enthusiasm is going to be offset. By the enthusiasm of my neighbors, women, in town suburban women, or given it all to repair the damage that was done, in our view, to Hillary Clinton and given us a president who we cannot tolerate and how he treats people.
1: Um so Renee, let's before we take a break, I want to pick up on an issue that we discussed on the show yesterday, which had to do with the fact that in the final days before election day. Uh, Governor Kemp and his wife have had to quarantine because they were exposed to the coronavirus at a Republican rally last week. Drew Ferguson, Congressman Drew Ferguson, tested positive for the virus. He was in close contact, apparently, with Governor Kemp at that rally. There, there were a lot of masks not being worn. And, uh, and and we talked about it in the context of the fact that yesterday, CDC or over the weekend, CDC issued a guidance saying that if you have COVID-19 You can go to the polls and vote uh, as long as you exercise precautions, wear a mask, stay socially distanced from other people. Governor Kemp's office has informed us today he will vote absentee, which is probably a pretty smart uh, approach for him to take. I don't think he needs the political trouble uh, that might cause him. Uh, But it once again has said something to us about the confusing messaging out of the leadership of CBC, CDC, not not the not the extraordinary uh, researchers and doctors and others who work there and are career uh, CDCers, but the leadership making these strange pronouncements.
4: Look, it, it it's been so confusing across the board. You know, from the CDC to what's coming out of the White House, the messaging has been very mixed, and the facts have not gotten to the, 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 pop, the, the American citizen the way it's, it's supposed, they're, they're supposed to. Um, I mean, if you take a look at the minority demographic of how COVID has affected us, we've been disseminated. It's been really tragic. Uh, in the Hispanic community, for example, we at Mundo Hispanico report that 359 per 100,000 cases have been hospitalized compared to 78 in whites. This is dramatic. It hit us in the gut. Um, and, and, and we're recalling this, we're remembering this as we head to the polls. It's, it's been, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that that's happened to, to, to our Hispanic community ever. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it does, uh, it, it does factor in how we vote and, you know, physically, too, whether we're
1: going to go or not. All right, got to take a break. Uh, as we do that, uh, of course, I'll say that I, we all certainly hope that Governor Kemp and Marty do not uh, become positive. We don't want either of them to get COVID-19, and it's a great thing that they are taking care of themselves, staying away from uh, people who might be exposed Uh, by them if they in fact did get the virus Uh, let's hope they didn't let's take our final break the show when we come back tomorrow hallerman you filed a a story we really need to talk about and that's what's going to go on with election security with lawsuits that are going to start flying in once the results uh, have been reported we'll talk about all that uh, and more uh, after this break It's so good to have all of you with us for this Election Day. Yes, Election Day edition of Political Rewind. Um, And thank you for staying with us, listeners, uh, throughout this amazing election year that we've all been following. A couple of quick program notes, as I said at the top of the show. Uh, You know that typically we do the show live at 9 in the morning and then we repeat it for people who can't hear it at 9 at 2 in the afternoon. Today and tomorrow, that will not be the case. We are doing live shows both today and tomorrow at 2 to keep you on top of the latest developments in voting today. And of course, we'll watch the returns as they continue to come in tomorrow during the day. Tonight, during the seven o'clock hour, we're going to carry NPR's election coverage on our statewide GPB radio network. Uh, but starting at seven o'clock in the seven o'clock hour, um, I'll be anchoring uh, cut ins coverage uh, at uh, several times during the hour to make sure you know what's going on with Georgia races. I'll be talking to GPB and AJC reporters who are out in the field covering the races. At, uh, during the 9 o'clock hour, we'll do an extended local segment, probably starting around 9.15, going to 9.40 or so. And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to take a big chunk of that hour to keep you up to speed on the latest in local Elections. So, um, if you're, if you're, I know you're going to watch a lot of this on TV, uh, but I think we're going to have more local coverage in expanded ways than uh, certainly the network TV channels, the affiliates here in Atlanta will. So, if you get a chance, tune us in tonight. We'd appreciate it. All right, Tamar Hallerman, uh, President Trump has been saying for weeks and weeks that the election is a fraud because of all the absentee ballots. And he said the other day, as we all know, uh, I don't think any votes that are counted after midnight should count. And he's prepared to back all this up by sending in a battery of lawyers to states, including Georgia, and the Democrats are set to respond. What did you learn uh, in the uh, story that you and Mark Nisi uh, put up today?
2: Sure. Well, we learned a, a couple of things. The first is that the Trump campaign has hired at least five lawyers in Georgia who are going to be keeping an eye on things for his campaign. What exactly they're going to be looking for as voting unfolds today, we're not exactly sure. But one of the one of the people that he hired is a veteran uh, Republican uh, lawyer here in Georgia, Brian Tyson from the firm Taylor English. He helped uh, Republicans in the state house do redistricting ten years ago, um, and several of his colleagues at the firm will also be working for them as well. At this point, we don't know exactly what kinds of legal issues are going to pop up uh, today and in the days that follow. All we know is that Just a ton of these groups that are around here in Georgia, groups like Fair Fight, groups like the ACLU, the Democratic Party of Georgia, the Republican Party, the Trump campaign, everyone is kind of watching and waiting for issues that arise. We could see action today to keep polls open past 7 p.m. if there are significant issues at individual precincts. We could see lawsuits filed uh, today or later this week about whether to nullify certain absentee or provisional ballots. Um, and there could also be issues of the results and recounts, and so everyone is just kind of sitting and waiting and ready to pounce.
0: I have been following these cases closely, trying to keep up. Uh, there was a decision that came out 11 p.m. last night out of the Harris County, Texas, uh, ongoing discussion about drives through uh, ballot boxes, drop boxes. I attended the at least one of the court hearings on the exact match litigation. There's been an enormous amount of positive energy, in my view, with good lawyering to try to make the Secretary of State's office do right by the voters of Georgia. Uh, Nationally, the issue of absentee ballots has gone back and forth about whether or not um, they may be counted in states that are postmarked on today November 3rd but received between three and seven days later as you may know that is a issue in Georgia where the lower district court said we would be allowed to count absentee ballots that are received for three days that's Judge Eleanor Ross but the 11th Circuit overturned that we will not be counting votes postmarked on absentee ballots postmarked on election day in either Georgia or North Carolina but we will in Pennsylvania And there are uh, at least a dozen other states where there will be postmark valid ballots. This issue is incredibly important and will be ongoing. The other issues, the more normal, typical issues about delay of precinct openings and uh, checking on absentee ballots, what is the process by which the voters' absentee ballot received today is rejected and the voter has a chance under a new, other, another consent law and another uh, litigation in Georgia to contest the rejection of an absentee ballot. It's enormously complex. There are very good lawyers who are attentive to these issues. And I am grateful to the number of lawyers who volunteer in time to make sure every vote counts in Georgia that is cast November 3rd.
3: The uh, You know, the U.S. Constitution says that if you have an indeterminate presidential election, the U.S. House of Representatives is supposed to be the arbiter of uh, who that uh, is. Uh, they haven't decided uh, uh, an election in, in, in centuries. Uh, and now the Sup- it, uh, we're going back to the situation where ultimately the Supreme Court is going to decide the outcome of this election, which is a tragedy. It's a travesty that we're, we're getting to this point. We had it, uh, obviously, with Bush— uh, and uh, and Al Gore, uh, and uh, we're probably headed that way again. Uh, and uh, it, it undermines confidence in, in the electoral process. And this is both parties are guilty of this. I mean, I, and even the AJC has written a lot of articles about the challenges and the problems with voting. And, and some of them have been, I mean, a lot of it's accurate, but it's been somewhat overstated in some cases as well. And it's undermining confidence of people in the process, which then gives those people, those politicians who want to cast doubt about the outcome of the election, it gives them credibility. Somehow or the other, we've got to figure out how we avoid all this litigation, and we get a clear answer out of this stuff. And there's lawyers on both sides, and, 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 and Mary Margaret is a great attorney but we've got to get the lawyers out of the election and, and make this so where the people feel that the, they have confidence in the outcome of this thing.
1: Uh, uh, this, Renee, and then I'll get to Mary Margaret. Again. Go ahead, Mary Margaret.
0: Well, let me respond just briefly. These are fair legal issues. There's no, there's nothing specious about trying to decide a statute that it, it requires an exact match of the signature with anything yeah. uh, wow. constitutionally lawful. These are fair-minded issues that... The courts,
1: gratefully, from my perspective, are there to answer. Um, Renee, what Rusty is talking about seems to me to be one of the reasons that the Biden campaign in the final week or so of this campaign has expanded the map the way they have. Going into Ohio in force, coming to Georgia in force, um, hoping that they can build up uh, enough uh, states that... That there isn't going to be uh, a fight in the Supreme Court to determine who is the next president, believing that if there's an overwhelming vote for Biden across the country, they can't fight everywhere. Renee?
4: Yeah, well, the Biden campaign has been very optimistic about how and aggressive <laughs> about how they're pushing into battleground states. As you mentioned, Arizona is in play, even Texas now is possibly in play. But you know, bring, bringing it into Georgia, you know, here we have counties like Gwinnett County, which is so diverse, right? Which is kind of this simmering jewel of Georgia in that it has it looks like what the future of Georgia looks like, you know, and you have folks like Mick Messina, the CEO over there at the, at the Chamber of Commerce doing what he does with minority business outreach. I mean, you're seeing play out in Georgia the demographics that are going to hit these swing states in mass across the nation. And Biden knows this. And he's jumping on these.
1: So it's going to be quite a night and probably well into tomorrow and beyond. And, Rusty, you're convinced that we're not going to have a presidential winner until the courts decide uh, who it is. Rusty, that's probably the most depressing opinion I've heard expressed on this show in weeks. Trust me, it depresses me <laughs> to
3: have to, to think about this. You know, I, I, I'm the, I, the, this is the one time when the political class has to step aside and let the folks decide where we're going politically, this is their day. Uh, and to have it co- uh, contested in the courts is just disappointing to me.
0: Oh, I've right. um, um, I I got to
1: very, very quickly.
0: I disagree that the court will decide it. I think that the energy of Georgia voters and, and U S voters is such that Biden will be elected today.
1: Well, we are all going to be watching that throughout. Uh, we'll watch the voting throughout the day today and come back with a live Political Rewinder 2 to talk about how it's going. We'll be with you all evening. I'm sure all of you on the panel today are not going to get a whole lot of sleep uh, tonight uh, because this is one of the most consequential elections in our history. By the way, we just got a report from Houston County that voters were lined up outside the Houston County annex at 6 a.m. By 730, a poll worker came out and told people in line the voting machines were down at 8 o'clock. The line finally began moving again. uh, And so it appears that they're now going to stay open a little later to deal with uh, the problem they had early this morning to make sure everybody gets to vote. By the way, we are going to be, the entire GPB news team will be contributing to our live blog, and I hope you will go to gpb.org elections throughout the day and the evening so you can see how the election is unfolding. Um, and again, we'll be with you too. I'll be with you again starting in the 7 o'clock hour tonight. Everybody have a fabulous election day. And again, Renee Alegria. Rusty Paul, Mary Margaret Oliver, Tamar Hallerman, thank you so much for a terrific show today. That's it. See you at 2 o'clock, and then again, two shows live tomorrow. I'm Bill Nigut. Uh Until we see you, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go get a flu shot. Bye-bye, everybody.